Well, good morning to you. Happy, beautiful March day in which this afternoon we will all be outside in a hammock. Amen. I just, I'm doing the numbers. I don't have that many hammocks um, for my family, but it'll be a lot of fun. Um, Hey, I want to be able to unwrap a lot of text for you today. So I'm just going to go ahead and invite you um, to buckle up, get your Bible out, and we're going to run really, really hard. First, I want to tell you a very brief story. Um, As we look at John chapter 4, there was something I was thinking about that really relates for our story today and what we're going to learn about and what God is wanting to communicate to us. A couple of weeks ago, I was unable to be here and to to preach. I was down in Kentucky. I was down in Kentucky, if you don't already know, because my wife's grandmother turned 100 years old. Her name is Gigi. She is an amazing woman of God. she, does not, she never intends this, but whenever you talk to her, you just feel lesser than because she's just so godly. I've never heard her say a negative inclination toward anything in 20-plus years of knowing her. She's never said, I don't like this food. This is what happened to, her, to me a couple weeks ago. I said, Gigi, I've never heard you say anything negative. I remember being at a restaurant, and she didn't like the food. I could tell her she didn't like the food. She eats like a bird, but she didn't like the food. And I was like, why don't you send it back? They need to know that it's not good. And she just reached over with her hand. She goes, we don't need any more of that in the world. No, that's not awe. I felt like a horrible human being. <laughs> um, but she's amazing. I love to have uh, my in-laws come, primarily my mother and my father-in-law. I, I do care for them. But what I like about them coming is they bring Gigi. <laughs> Um, because she's just great to talk to. Also, Gigi is the definition of a laundry ninja. Like she, like, she enjoys doing laundry. Who enjoys doing laundry? But she loves it. And so what she does is all day, every day, whenever she's at our house, it's fantastic. She just does laundry. Like, I'll leave for work, 6.45 in the morning, and she's doing laundry. And then I come back. It'll be after an elder meeting, 11 o'clock at night. She's still folding the same pair of socks. And, but she just keeps going over and over, and she just folds. It's so good. Because it shows you we have a definite life with Gigi and without Gigi. With Gigi, we have clean clothes to wear. Without Gigi, my kids going to school and they get mocked because their clothes smell. Like we we just don't get all the laundry done maybe. And so there's life with Gigi and life without Gigi. You have those people in your life? None. Nobody else has a Gigi. You all need a 100-year-old Gigi. And so here she is and... She just, there's a difference. Even when she's in the house, uh, you know there's a difference. And it's her presence and her, her love for God that is so remarkable. That's what we're going to be able to do today. We're going to see our life with and without Jesus very clearly and what that difference is and how our life is different with Jesus and how we understand him. We're going to be forced to evaluate how do you actually understand who Jesus is versus not having Christ in your life and what that means. Without him, hot mess, as soon as you walk in the door, laundry's piling out, it's all filthy. With, things are cleaned up a good bit. And so we get to walk this in John chapter 4. And please open up the scripture and get out. Please, I'm inviting you to open up your worship notes and to be able to follow along today as we look at this amazing passage of the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria who's at the well, and we get to unfold all that is actually taking place and happening. Um, If we look at the very first verse, um, I just want to read this one verse to you very, very quickly. 
And then I'm going to give you a little bit of background of what's taking place so that hopefully it'll give you an opportunity to absorb more of the significance of this. Um, John chapter 4 verse 1 says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So already, okay, so if you were here last week, if not, go back, you can listen if you'd like to. Um, already there's someone who has come to John the Baptist and said, hey, wait a second, you're baptizing here. Jesus, Jesus and his disciples are baptizing down there, even though we know from this passage, Jesus is observing. He's actually not doing the baptizing, but his disciples are baptizing. And people are leaving John the Baptist to go to Jesus. And John the Baptist is like, yes, now this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, I must decrease. So here this comes back into play. And all of this is unfolding. And so Jesus just picks up and he leaves. And he heads toward Galilee in the north. So you still have, of Israel, you have the northern kingdom and you have the southern kingdom. And Jesus takes off and he leaves. Um, The Pharisees knew more people were following Jesus than following John. They try to make something out of it. Nothing comes out of it. Um, And then we come to this place where it tells us that Jesus, and this is verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Shekar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Now we're going to come back to this in a second. But Jacob's well was there. And he's tired, he's weary, he's worn out. Now, um, why do people make such a big deal about this passage? If you've been in the church for more than a year or so, you, I'm certain you've probably heard this before. I know that I've preached it um, not too far off in the distance. But even recently, I've been able to to glean more into it. Here's part of the significance of this. Jesus demolishes so many of our stereotypes and our preconceived notions in this one passage. He just just crushes them. Right? One, here's a man speaking to a woman. Here is a Jew engaging with a Samaritan. What you're going to also learn in this passage, here's a guy who is claiming to have living water to be the living water. You're going to get more of this, okay? Who looks at a woman who's been married five times and says, it's for you too. That's what we get to learn about today. So even to help you understand, there's a map I'd like you to see real quick because um, what you see on this map is at the very top, that body of water, the far left, uh, it's called the Mediterranean, but the the body of water up above the river there, okay, the Jordan River, is called the Sea of Galilee. You can see where Jesus is traveling. You've got Jacob's well there in the center because that's the Dead Sea on the below. uh, To the right of Jerusalem there, that is the Dead Sea. And so he is in between the two. He's making this journey. He's making this trip, and he's having to travel. He travels, chooses to travel through Samaria. Now, here's one of the things that helps you to understand why is there such disdain from Jews to Samaritans? Instead of just going, hey, the Jews don't like Samaritans, you need to understand a little bit more why there is such a disdain. Well, this is about about 721, so about 721 years prior to Jesus Christ coming onto this earth. It's after a 400-year intertestamental period. You need to know that. So all of a sudden, what unfolds 721 years before the coming of Jesus Christ is the Assyrians captured Samaria. And at the time, that was the capital of the northern kingdom. Long, long time. I could go through tons of details to learn more about it. I would encourage you to read through 2 Kings 17 and 18. 2 Kings 17 and 18. This is fun homework for you. 
2 Kings 17 and 18. Um, but really what is unfolding is the Assyrians came, they captured Samaria, and in the midst of all this capturing, they end up deporting a lot of the Israelites, um, the ones who they would have, they kind of had position in the society. Well, they deported them, right? If you want to conquer a, a community, get rid of their leaders, right? If you want to conquer an area, get rid of the, the ones who are in charge. So that's kind of what they did, and they sent them out. And what ends up taking place is that these individuals end up intermarrying. And so these, these people who they were once considered to be devout Jews and their faith, etc., are now in the past, they have intermarried with these other people. And as a result, they were considered to be religiously impure. They were con- considered to be half-breeds. It's like, how dare them? We're the people of God. We're the Israelites. And so now, all of a sudden, so Jews are looking at Samaritans as half-breeds. It's going, wait a second here. So hopefully that helps you to understand a little bit about the significance of this because then after the exile of the southern kingdom in Babylon, the Jews returned to their their homeland and they very quickly found themselves to be isolated um, because they had intermarried. So all this is happening in this passage. We know that if we jump in to verse 6 and following, John chapter 4, verse 6 and following, I want to pick up right there and keep walking through some of this. Um, This is what it says. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, worn out from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Sixth hour would have been about noon, okay? So it's the middle of the day. He is hot. He's tired. He's stopping at Jacob's well to get a drink of water. Um, Knowing this dynamic between Samaritans and Jews, no wonder that all of a sudden he looks at this woman who walks up, and he says, hey, give me a drink. I, I think personally she would have automatically just started looking around. Okay, what's about to happen here? Because even in the way that a Jew would have dressed, etc., um, she knew right away the difference between a Samaritan and a Jew. She's a Samaritan. Jews don't interact with uh, Samaritans. And so here comes this guy. One, it's a man, not even another woman, saying, give me a drink. And she looks at him and says, hold up. It wasn't, hey, here's some water. It's, how is that you, a Jew... Here it is for us, verse 9. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She's calling out that abrasiveness, that tension that is there between a Samaritan and a Jew. And sometimes I think we should just call it, sometimes we're in a situation, we just need to call it out, right? I I do it sometimes, even speaking, we all know this. And and so I just like, I always say if there's an elephant in the room, if you call it out, you make it a mouse, like make it a smaller deal. She's just calling this out, like, okay, wait a second. Samaritan woman, Jewish man, what are you doing? What are you doing? It tells us, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus answers her and says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water. Continues in the same passage, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. Now let me go ahead and stop right here. Um, She's clueless of who she's actually speaking to at this point. Because her concern, she's looking at the 
the son of God. He says, give me some water. She goes, you're, you're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. What are you doing? And he says, listen, don't you understand what I'm actually offering to you? And her resp- I'm offering you living water. And her response is, you don't have a bucket. I think sometimes that's how we are with Christ. That's how we are with God. Because we can't wrap our mind around the practical, logistical part of it. Like some of you may be really detailed-oriented, which is awesome because I need detailed people around me. Like I know that's a weakness of mine. And so I want to gather people around me and, and say, hey, listen, this is what I'm thinking and what God, I think, is wanting us to do. And they go, well, you know there's some details to that. Right? Where's everybody going to park? I'm like, let them park on the grass. I'm like, no, okay, okay, that'll work for a week. And, and they help me think through the details. And sometimes, though, that same type of personality can get hung up on the details rather than seeing what God is doing and what he's speaking about and what he's really wanting to accomplish. I'm going to give you living water. Where's your bucket? This is the son of God. He doesn't need a bucket. Right? And so we miss out on the grandeur, the, the, the splendor of what, and the greatness of what God is really wanting to see happen because we go, well, yeah, I don't have a bucket. Do you recognize that God is still a God of miracles? Do you live your life in a relationship with God that says, hey, whatever he says, I trust. I'll live accordingly, and I'll allow him to provide along the way because I trust in him as being sovereign, as being omnipotent, being omniscient, and I trust in him. And so now as a result of that, I'm not worried about having the bucket because I trust he'll, have, he'll provide the bucket when I need the bucket. I'm going to trust him for his word, step into that, and recognize he is the living water. Anybody picking up when I'm laying down, yes or no? Wow. So here we, we start to recognize this. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. Wells deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Verse 12. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She's about to understand John 3.17. She's about to pick up on the fact what was preached just a couple of weeks ago by Pastor Luke where it says God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. She's about to, she's about to recognize this. And so while she's worried about whether or not he has a bucket, he's about to give her spiritual eyes. So she's aware truly of who he is. You see, spiritual eyes, seeing God clearly, that's what we're trying to do in this series, is to have a more clear view of who God is. Spiritual eyes begins with drinking the living water, recognizing what Jesus means in saying that, recognizing what it actually means for our life. 
Because in this point, when she says, hey, you don't have a bucket, it actually reminds me of the beginning of John chapter 3, three weeks ago when we were speaking about Nicodemus. Where Jesus says, hey, I've got so much more for you. You can be born again. And Nicodemus, his first response, you remember this? If you were here, all of a sudden he goes, hey, can a a man go into his mother's womb a second time and be born again? He didn't get it. Now, he ended up getting it. And and I believe that because he's one of those Sanhedrin members who later at the death and the resurrection of Jesus is there to give the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, another member of the Sanhedrin, to Christ. But he didn't get it. He didn't grasp it. Just like the Samaritan woman in this situation didn't fully grasp all of it. Another question that would come from this that we must process is, um, from where are you drinking? And you're going, that's, that's that's a weird statement. That's a weird question. From where are you drinking? Some of us have become so accustomed to drinking the same thing over and over that doesn't actually provide fulfillment and purpose and life that we just keep drinking from it. And we don't even know that, one, we're going to have to keep drinking of it because it won't last. It'll never quench your thirst truly. And sometimes we're even drinking something that's not even healthy for us. Maybe if you've traveled overseas. You ever travel to a country where they say, hey, look, everything is good here. Just don't drink the water. Anybody been to that country before? A lot of you? Just don't drink the water. Like when I would go to Uganda, I've been over there a few times, and other places as well, they would just say, just don't drink the water. Like don't even use it to, to put on your toothbrush. Like you'll forget. You'll put your toothbrush under the sink and to rinse it. And I would, so now when I travel overseas, a lot of times I'll take an extra toothbrush because I'm the guy who forgets that. And the water will mess with you. All, right, all of a sudden, you're like, everybody's like, let's go, let's go minister here. Let's go see this. And you're like, I'm just going to stay on the bus. You know, yeah? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so here it is. We look at it. We go, okay, wait a second. Some of us, Jesus has already said, don't drink, the wa- don't drink that water. It's not clean. Guess what we often do anyway? We drink that water. And some of us are even trying to find fulfillment, and we're drinking water in different, from different areas of life that will never actually provide fulfillment. This is what I was talking about with the family uh, last night. We have some, uh, some, some kids from another family that we love who are hanging out with us, the Hemricks. And so we're all sitting there, the 10 of us, and we're going, okay, listen, guys, this is, I'm getting excited. And I wanted to preach last night. I'm like, this is so cool because so many times, especially as young people today, but even as adults, what happens is we start looking to provide fulfillment and we, we want to find fulfillment in places other than Jesus. Like we want to make sure that we look a certain way. And guess what? You got to keep changing the way you look. If not, people are going to make fun of you. Right? Some of you, I just want to tell you, bell bottoms aren't in anymore. Right? But guess what? In five years, they will be. So keep them. Right, because it always changes, and some of you are wanting to find fulfillment in how much money you have. I was speaking with about 100 men on Wednesday night, and I said, how many of you would like it if I give you an additional $25,000 a year for the rest of your life? Guess how many hands went up? About 100. They all, yes. And here's the thing with it. It would take roughly two days After you go home, you tell your spouse, we got another $25,000 a year. We all collectively do the happy dance. Would you not do the happy dance for that? Yes or no? That's a happy dance worthy thing. It'd take about two days for you to go, man, if we only had another $25,000. 
because you're drinking from the wrong well. Your fulfillment's never really going to come from anything other than Jesus. You're drinking from the wrong well, and some of us are drinking and trying to find fulfillment, trying to quench our worldly thirst by all of these different things. As soon as you get that big pickup truck, you're going to want to put a boat behind it. Whoop, whoop. As soon as you put a boat behind it, you're going to want a cottage to put it at. As soon as you get that cottage, you're going you're to remember you forgot your kids at home. And then you got to pay for their college. And so then you sell the cottage and the boat. Right? I mean, that's what happens. And there's never enough. You're drinking from the wrong well. And it just keeps going and going. And here's the thing about us today. We wreck as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. And I know that a lot of you, you may not be believers, but majority of us claim to know Jesus. That's why you're here. And the majority of us will say, hey, listen, I know this to be true. Jesus is the living water. Yes or no? But we don't do anything different. We're not willing to make any alterations in our life to actually start finding fulfillment in Jesus. We keep chasing the things that are temporary. We don't actually make changes. Can we start making changes? Right? That's what we have to do. So from where are you drinking? And here's how you know. I want to give you a few quick ways to know if you're drinking from the right well. This is what Jesus says about the living water. This is scripture. This is John 4, verse 10 and John 4, 14. Three things that you're going to know about the living water, and it will help you examine and determine whether or not you're drinking from the living water or not. Um, one, it's a gift from God. You're going to recognize it's a gift. It's something you don't deserve. It's something that is, is not of your own making. But verse 10 tells us, it calls it out, if you knew the gift of God. It's a gift. So you're going to recognize, if you're finding fulfillment in life, you're going to recognize that that is from God and not of something that you've manufactured yourself. Two, not only is it a gift from God, it's living water. So it's alive. It's, it's living. That means you don't have to constantly come back to it. It tells us, same verse. He says, give me a drink. And it says, if you would have asked this, he would have given you living water. So it's a gift, but it's also living. And then thirdly, we know that it's eternal. Verse 14 says, listen, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's eternal. Another way of thinking about it is, is active. It never dies. It's, it's moving. It's welling up within you. It's welling up within you. It's something that's, that is bubbling up, and it's something that you can't necessarily even always control because God is now controlling you rather than you trying to control God. Man, that'll preach. Like a lot of people today need to recognize, Jesus ain't your errand boy. I'm serious. Will you do this for me and do this for me? And as long as I have this and have this, and as long as I'm going to have this and I can have this, Jesus is living water. And we recognize it to be truth. We say, yeah, that's right, that's right. But I'm going to keep searching for fulfillment and all of these other things that are temporary. I want to make sure that others approve of me. Anybody. 
Because I, I, know, I know an entire world looking for fulfillment in wrong places. When the church today can start recognizing that we don't necessarily always live in the right answer, but we at least know where the right answer is found, we will be far more attractive to the world around us. Amen. So here he is. He's like, man, this is it's a spring of water, verse 14 and 15, okay? Spring of water. I'm preaching 42 verses a day. Get comfortable. Like, I've ne- I'm, not, I'm, tr- I'm trying to, pro- I probably should never agree to preach 42 verses in a day again. Um, but I'm trying. I'm going to go faster here in just a second. Don't worry. Um, that may not happen. But the woman said to him, sir, give me this water. So she hears welling up living water, and she's like, oh, okay. I want some of that. Give me some. So that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come back here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And here's what Jesus says, verse 17. This is so good. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. The one that you have now is actually not your husband. Uh-oh. Things just got real. So now you know the, the beauty of this passage. Those who would not be socially acceptable, right? Nobody goes through five husbands and is now with somebody who's not their husband and wants to brag about that. Right? That's not a cool game. How many spouses can I have? But hear me say this. Even for those who have been remarried, hear me say this. God can redeem anyone from anything at any time. Amen. So he calls this out. And the woman said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. You think? Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So the woman said to him in verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming. I know that Messiah is coming. Jesus jumps in. And just demolishes every single type of stereotype. All the stereotypes, racism, sexism, all those things. Knows her past, knows her history and says, I have. So hear this. No matter where you're coming from, here's Jesus saying, I've got living water for you. Like you think you have it, but you don't. You don't have to keep playing the game. I have have That's what he's saying. It's amazing. So as we continue to look at this passage, Jesus is breaking all types of stereotypes. Now, this is what I'd like to invite you to do. Will you take out your worship guide? I asked you to get it out earlier and to jot some notes down. I'm going to ask you to write down some very specific things on this right here. 
Because what I want to make sure that we have time to cover today, and I'm going to keep talking about some of this other stuff as we go. I'm not going to read through the entirety of it. Uh, I'd love for you to do that, though, as an individual, or maybe with a family, with a friend. Say, hey, let's read through John 4, 1 through 42. All right? Um, next week, I get to preach the very end of John chapter 4. Far fewer verses, so that's awesome. Um, but we look at this and say, okay, at least go read it and say, what, what else do you pull out of this text? And here's one of the things I want you to do. Pull this out because it says at the top in, the, in red, what word does it say? And in blue it says worship. So here, as I walk through this, um, and you see Jew greater than Jacob, prophet, Messiah, the Christ, Savior of the world right here. I want to walk through a journey with you that happens in John chapter 4. And this is one of the reasons I'm wanting to do this. I'm wanting to help you know how to read scripture and to see things that are standing out to you. Very first thing I'm going to go to, verse 9. So here's this, this Jewish man comes up to this Samaritan woman at the well and says, give me a drink. Her first comment is this. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink? So write down 4.9. John 4.9, right beside Jew. So this is how she immediately acknowledges who he is. You're a Jew. It's, it's obvious. I'm not. You are. I'm a woman. You're a man. Here's what's, here's what's going down. Well, then, right down, right beside greater than Jacob, right down verse 12, because now, all of a sudden, he's saying, hey, I would have given you living water. She says, you don't have anything to draw water with. Where do you get that living water? I love that, too, by the way. Hey, you don't have a bucket. She registers living water and says, oh, but, but if, uh, if you did, where would you get that living water? So now, all of a sudden, she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? Where is he sitting? Jacob's... Well, so now all of a sudden, she has moved in her thinking from, here's just the Jew, to, hey, here's somebody who's maybe greater than Jacob. And then it continues on in verse 19, as the woman says, um, after he says, hey, listen, I already know you've had five husbands, and now you're with a man who's not your husband. And she responds with, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. So it started as a Jew. And she's examining who Jesus is. Some of you are examining who Jesus is. You're exploring that. You're wanting to discover the, for yourself who he really is. So you're examining and you're going, is he just a Jew? Or maybe he's greater than Jacob. Maybe he's a prophet. And you're examining this. So that prophet there is chapter 4, verse 19. Scribble it down. But then he, he jumps in talking about worship. After it moves beyond a prophet, it jumps in to where she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. Okay, so this is verse 25. Chapter, or just write down 425, right beside Messiah. And this is in the midst of all of this discussion about worship. When you start to recognize that Jesus is more than just a prophet, that he is Messiah, something else comes along for the ride. It's called true, authentic worship in spirit and truth. We'll jump into that in a second. Then what we find in verse 29, it says the disciples. So here's this woman going, wow, you, I know that Messiah is coming. And he says, I, I who speak to you am he. But then the disciples come back. They're like, oh, they're mar they're, they marvel at the fact that he's speaking to a woman. But he, he's breaking every single mold that you can think of to say, hey, I've, I've come for everybody to have living water. 
So the woman left the water jar, went away to the town, and said to the people, Come, here's still the Samaritan woman speaking, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So now the son went from Judah, greater than Jacob, to prophet, to, oh man, Messiah's coming, to this could be Christ. This could be the Christ. And maybe you're on this journey too, because then later on, by the time that this woman is brought back into the picture, it tells us that all these different people, verse 39 through 42, all of a sudden, all these other people are coming to profess in Jesus Christ simply by her testimony. And some of you need to ask yourself, are you sharing your story about being transformed by the living water, drinking the living water, not having to look anywhere else? And some of you are thinking, my story is not great enough to share. It's a lie because the story is actually not about you. It's about God. I used to think I don't have a story to share because people would be like, oh, that's not relatable. I grew up in a Christian home with a, a, a mom and a dad who loved the Lord, right? My father was a pastor, and I never really rebelled. My rebelling was just jumping off bridges and rebelling and doing something. It wasn't real rebellion. I never turned to drugs or anything else. But guess what? My story is just as valuable. Isn't that what we want for everybody? Yes or no? Do we want people to have to fall off the cliff in order for them to get up, I'd rather, I'd rather say no. Does that mean that if you have to fall off the cliff before you turn to God, that it's a bad thing? No, God can redeem anyone from anything at any time. I'm simply grateful that I know him. Are you sharing your story? Because this woman moved from here's a Jew greater than Jacob, maybe a prophet, Messiah, Christ, and now she can't shut up about who Jesus is. When was the last time you shared with someone about your faith? Truly said, can I tell you what God has done in my life? You need to answer that question. Verse 39, Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And he told It says, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, here's this woman coming back into the picture. This is great. It's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed, what? The savior of the world. You must be a Jew. Greater than Jacob, prophet, Messiah, Christ, Savior of the world. Where are you on that journey? And can we be honest about it? Because many of us who profess to be worshiping him, we're actually not worshiping. We're still examining if we should worship. Because it's simply, especially in this environment, it's still culturally acceptable for us to even act like that we're worshiping. And so we're worshiping even though we're still actually examining whether or not Jesus is Savior to us. And we think that he is, but we're not behaving that way. And listen, in the next 10 years, it's going to shift greatly. Because there's going to be no cultural benefit to being in this place. And to even certainly saying, I'm a Christian. In fact, here's the very opposite is happening. It will be to your detriment financially, promotion-wise, and everything else. But we'll know who's in. I'll know better who's standing with me shoulder to shoulder because I promise you, I will confess and profess with my mouth. I will proclaim, He is the living water.
So where are you on that journey as you look at that? Are you in the examining stage? Or are you in worship mode? Oh, yeah. Because here's another thing that happens in this passage, and it's so fun to see. I want to go back to you, back with you to verse 19 and following. She says, hey, I perceive you're a prophet. And then it says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. So this is something she's calling out. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So then Jesus jumps back into the picture. So I hear worship and worship. And then here's what I see again. I said, woman, here's Jesus. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You can underline right there. Will you worship the Father? Verse 20. Verse 21 says it again. Verse 22. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worship, true worshipers. When I hear but the true worshipers, I go, oh, I want to be a true worshiper. Please. Right? The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to what? Worship him. You better know what worship really is. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth and just keeps calling it out over and over and over again. And this is one of the things that we start to recognize is that we need to examine who Jesus is. But if you've discovered he is Christ, then you will worship in spirit and truth. That's what happens. Discovering, examining Jesus and discovering that he is Christ, it leads to authentic worship. In spirit and in truth, and I know that sometimes in churches we can throw out churchy words and biblical words even, and we'll go on, what does that really mean? Let me help you understand very, very briefly about what it means to worship in spirit and truth. Truth, truth centers, when it says worship in spirit and truth. Let me go there first, real fast. When you're worshiping in truth, you're, you're worshiping the true person and the works of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. You're worshiping John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You're worshiping the fact that he is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, that fully he is God and was from the beginning. That's the truth. And the more you understand truth, the more your heart should respond in gratitude. So people who are claiming to worship in spirit and in truth, if you want to worship in truth, you must be doctrinally sound. You have to be. So if you're not spending any time jumping into the word, I'm going to question a lot of things in your spiritual growth as being a transformed follower of Jesus Christ. But then you also get in spirit. John 3, 6 comes back, right? Oh, man, the whole story of Nicodemus is so good. It says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's a both and, meaning you, you must do both. Like when The more you know of God, the more you know of Christ as Savior of the world, if that's where you are, as Christ, as at least Messiah, the more you recognize that, the more you sit in that, the more you're going naturally to respond to him. That's why we say we're transformed followers of Jesus. That's what we're all about. Say transformed followers of Jesus. And then it says, passionately what? Responding. 
to the truth of who he is, to knowledge of who he is and what he's done, that he's more than just a great prophet, that he's more than a Jew, that he's, he's, he's greater than Jacob, that he is Messiah, he is Christ, and he is Savior of the world. And so we begin to sit in that, knowing that worship is our response. Your worship, right, is our response to who God is, what he's done, It's expressed by our words and our actions every moment of every day. Your worship will help you discover where you are on that journey. Where are you on the journey? And here's the thing. I'm promising you this. It doesn't matter where you are on the journey. That's what we look, that's what we see from the Samaritan woman. Samaritan, woman, five husbands, right? It just keeps going. It's like, oh boy. Didn't get it. Where's your bucket? You've been married five times. Oh, you must be a prophet. It doesn't matter where you are on that journey. I'm telling you now, we want to walk the journey with you. But I think what I'm asking is that will you be honest about where you are on the journey? Because that's where we need to start. Because some of us are claiming to worship when we're actually still examining if we believe. But he is the living water. You can stop looking everywhere else. I'm telling you, you can stop looking everywhere else. He is the living water. 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 There's only one place to find true fulfillment, true hope, true purpose. His name is Jesus. He is the living water. You can stop looking everywhere else. Praise be to God. And so, Lord, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We offer you our heart, mind, soul, and body. You deserve nothing less. You are a great God, one of purpose, one of fulfillment. You are the living water. When we drink of you, we need nothing else in our life, for we are here to give everything in our life to the glory of God. Thank you so much that no matter where we are, no matter where we are on the journey, God, you're already in. (laughs) And that you... You embrace us and you want us to draw near to you and know your word, know your instruction, know your commands. Thank you for not giving up on us. In Christ's name, amen.